Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey everyone, I'm Megan Teets and this is Sorta Awesome. This week's episode is brought to you by HealthyMoving.com. If you are ready for a dramatically different approach to body image and exercise, stay tuned to hear more about the Healthy Moving Revolution later in today's show. Now, welcome back to the show where every week we go exploring in the pursuit of awesome. You can count on us to keep you informed of all the best shiny things out there when we share our awesome of the week. In each episode, we also take your questions and bring you the answers you need to help you uncover all the awesome within your own life. Our favorite Hollywood housewife, Laura, joins me this week, and have we got a surprise for you. We asked Ann Bogle of the immensely popular lifestyle and literature blog, Modern Mrs. Darcy, to join us today so we can talk all about books. You all have asked dozens of times to have Anne on the show. And surprise, she's here. Laura and Anne are going to give you the rundown on the year in books, as well as the inside scoop on their reading habits and tastes. We have a lot of ground to cover today. and We're going to get started on all of that after we start the way we always do with Awesome of the Week. Laura, why don't you kick us off? I'm so excited to be talking about books today, and I'm so excited Anne is here. That's something I've wanted to do for months on this podcast, so we're like beside ourselves. Absolutely, yes. my awesome of the week before that is an app for your phone called TripIt. I think it's kind of popular already as it's several years old, but I'm still sharing it because it's one of the most useful tech tools, and I use it all the time. So it's a travel app hence the name Trip It. Trip It. Um, and it keeps track of all your travel details, like your flights, your cars, your hotels. So instead of having all your like confirmation numbers in like your email, I'm always digging through my email or like printing them out on a bunch of papers. It, it condenses it and puts it into kind of one page or one screen on your phone in the app. So what's best about it though, is not just that it condenses the information, but is that it's so easy to put it in there. All you do, you don't have to like manually put all the information in there. All you do is when you get your confirmation email after you've booked a flight or your car or whatever you get, you just forward the email to TripIt. It scans all the information that's important and it ends up putting everything into one itinerary for your trip. It does it all automatically. It's like magic. It's like for a frequent traveler, even for a non-frequent traveler, it's totally like magic. It really is. I used it when we, when I went to Utah earlier in the fall. And a lot of people have, you know, anxieties about flying that have to do with actually being in the air. All of my travel anxieties about flying have to do with like the airport and the logistics and catching flights and those types of things. And TripIt made it a hundred times easier. 
so much easier. And it puts stuff in, like even that you didn't put in. So so it has your flight information and it has your hotel information. So it automatically puts a map in from one to the other. So you already have directions. You already have like all of the information that you need. And if you want to add something in, like that didn't come in a confirmation email, like a dinner reservation or something like that, you can you can manually add it in. So you have all of your trip stuff on one app, almost on like one screen. It's so easy, their layout, I feel like, when you look at it, just makes sense. So it's my awesome of the week that I highly, highly recommend. That's perfect timing because we are headed into holiday season. Lots of people travel at the end of the year. So perfect timing. Thank you for sharing that one. I love it. Yeah, yeah. Anne, I know you brought something for us this week. So what do you have for awesome of the week? I did. My awesome of the week is a girl's night in. I love a good girl's night out as much as anybody else. Although I have to say that I am an introvert. Like I'm kind of a homebody by default. So I have to make (laughs) myself like actually go. And once I leave the house, I'm so glad. That's especially challenging during the months when it gets dark out at depressing hours of the day. I just want to stay home and sit on the couch with my husband instead of go out. But I'm always glad I went. So my first half awesome is that I actually went. But what happened was I got a text from my friend that said, hey, ladies, on Saturday night, I'm going to put on jogging pants and turn on some good music and have some snacks and just indulge my little crafty heart until I can't take it anymore. And anybody who wants to come can. Like it was totally laid back, open, whatever. And of course, that day was all rainy and gross, but I made myself get out of the house and go. And it was so fun. And it was fun in the way like that it was fun when I was 20 living with a bunch of girls in college and we'd like hang out watching Friends and eating M&M's. Like it was just so low key. Like seriously, we were wearing like sweatpants and like messy buns, not even messy buns, like messy, dirty hair. And uh, (laughs) I tackled a project that I just didn't want to sit around on my floor and do like by myself. But with friends, um, it was so fun. Like seriously, I ordered my supplies for this thing I made that I'll probably blog about eventually in June. And in November, I finally got it done and we got to check out each other's stuff and drink wine and tea and eat snacks. And I don't mean like fancy snacks. I mean like crackers and a block of not nice cheese (laughs) and a bowl of nuts. And it was so, like, it was such good, low-key, no-pressure fun. And, like, we never do that anymore. Oh, and I should have said, her kids were home. Like, she didn't get a babysitter. Her husband was out of town. Like, she put her, we were invited over for when her two-and-a-half-year-old went to bed. And her big girls were upstairs just reading their books, came downstairs to say goodnight at one point. No drama, no pressure, no nothing. And it was so fun. Oh my like, goodness. In a way I haven't had in a long time. I love that. I love that. I love getting together with friends. And that did, when you were talking about it, it reminded me of like sorority days when we would have weekends in, just hanging out, watching movies, eating, and just, oh my gosh, so fun. So I love that. Maybe people who are listening will be inspired to fire up a girls' night in. I love that. I love that style of invitation too. She's basically like, I will be in my sweats doing this. Yes. (laughs) You know, come or don't come. There will be wine. (laughs) (laughs) For real, that makes me want to do that for Christmas card addressing party. Yeah, I love it. Okay, Anne, thank you so much for sharing that little tidbit. Uh, My awesome of the week is yet another podcast recommendation. (laughs) 
Uh, I hope you guys never get tired of these because I have lots of them. So this one's a little tiny bit of a repeat if you are a newsletter subscriber. As I mentioned previously on the show, I sent out a playlist to the newsletter subscribers with some episodes of some of my favorite podcasts to keep you busy over the Thanksgiving break. And I happen to include this show on the list. So for for a handful of you, this is going to be um, a little bit of a repeat. So the show is called Switched on Pop. Its tagline is a podcast on the making and meaning of popular music. And that pretty much sums up what the show is. It's hosted by two guys. Uh, One's named Nate Sloan. He's a musicologist. Did you guys know there is such thing as musicologist? What? He has his PhD in musicology. (laughs) PhD? Yes. Who's who's the host? His name's Nate Sloan, and he okay. is that's the, that's that. a thing that he does. I have a high school friend who has a PhD in musicology, and I thought really? maybe there were three of them, and maybe it's his. <laughs> that is not his name. Okay, well, is this is some like upper level music. I, I don't know. even know what it means. I don't either, but, but he is good at music. That's what it means. <laughs> He knows music. He knows music. His co-host is Charlie Harding, who is a musician. And so what they do on the show is they take pop music and they literally just break it down. First, a lot of times they'll take a, a couple of songs and kind of build around a theme. So one show might be all about Taylor Swift's music. Another show, the very first one, the first episode is songs about heartbreak. And I know Adele's... Um, Someone Like You was in it and a couple of other heartbreak songs. So a lot of times they'll take that theme and kind of break down and look at the lyrics. What are they doing with the lyrics? What are they trying to evoke? What is this a callback to? And then what is so super interesting to me, and you guys, I'm not a musician by any means. I mean, I took like eight years of piano when I was younger, when I was a a little girl growing up and I was in choir in high school, but I'm not like a musician. But what they do that's so fascinating is they'll look at the actual music. So they will break down the chords and talk about, well, here we have a chord shift from this to this. And they'll talk about, you know, what key it's in. And it is utterly fascinating. And the shows are not, each episode is not too long to where you're like totally bogged down in the details. They're about half an hour long. And I will tell you, I I do, I love music. I'm listening to music all the time. Since I've started listening to Switched On Pop, I feel like I'm a better listener of music because I'm noticing things like the bass line. I'm noticing those key shifts in addition to the lyrics, which I'm already A plus at at breaking down lyrics. That's sort of my thing is like thinking about the meaning of things. (laughs) So I didn't need any help in that category, but it has just really broadened my appreciation for pop music, which I'm actually always listening to anyway, because I have two tween daughters who are very into the Justin Bieber catalog of music. So (laughs) Megan, you may tell everyone that you are not into music, but I feel like now is the time to reveal that in high school, (laughs) you wore sequins and sang on a cruise ship. That is true. That can't be denied. So... (laughs) If that makes one a musician, then you are too, Laura, <laughs> since you were there as well. That's true. How many people can say that they were on a show choir competition cruise in high school? Probably oh, not. Oh, wow. Probably. Well, the, the 20 that were with us. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much. So that is my Awesome of the Week, Switched on Pop. Find it in iTunes, wherever you listen to podcasts. If music is your thing, I think that you will really like it. I have been loving it. Okay, Anne, 
One thing that I always like to get people to do when they come on the show for the first time, just so the people who are listening can have a little bit of background on who we are talking to, I love to hear a person's five-minute life story. So if you could kind of start from the beginning and just give us a little context about who you are and where you've come from. I've always loved to read. Like I was that girl that the principal came to visit in third grade and said, who in here read 47 books for the reading challenge? And looking back, I'm kind of surprised that that didn't kill it right there forever. Um, <laughs> but, but I've always loved to read. So um, I, my family didn't move around. I grew up in the same town and I met my husband in high school, which even though we met like the very, very end of our senior year, we still went to prom together and it's still totally cheesy. So we got <laughs> married. I wouldn't change it, but it just, you know, there are lots of preconceptions about high school sweethearts. Oh, yes, is, definitely. <laughs> uh, got married right out of college. Um, we've been married for almost 15 years now. We started having babies like 10 years before I expected to have babies. After I got oh, wow, married at least yeah. five years before I thought I would when I was, you know, like 15 and planning my whole life. Uh, <laughs> I had the mother of all quarter life crises when I was in my mid-20s. We had um, just a lot of stuff going on in our life right now. So, and I really feel like I didn't start growing up until I was really in my mid-20s. That's also about the same time I started writing seriously. I started putting that writing into blogging a few years later. Um, I've been reading the whole time. Now we are still back in Louisville, Kentucky. We have four kids, ages five to 12. And that's that's where I came from. Okay. And when did you start Modern Mrs. Darcy? Because it seems like you've been at this for quite a while. Yeah. It was almost five years ago. It was in okay. early 2011. I feel like just in the past year, I flipped right between like, I just barely started this and I should be seasoned by now. And there didn't really seem to be a middle ground. So <laughs> yeah, now the pressure's on. I feel like after nearly five years, you're supposed to actually know what you're doing when until that point, I could be like, I'm just making it up. I don't have a clue. Oh, well, you've done an excellent job so far because your fans are very passionate and very loyal about what you do at Modern Mrs. Oh, Darcy. So, so yes, for sure. Well, one of the things that you do so well is talk about books, which Laura loves to talk about books too. We've known you for a long time through blogging. So you seemed like the perfect fit to come on the show. Here we are at the end of the year and Let's just dig in and talk about what we have been reading this past year. Oh, I can't wait. Before we even get to what we've been reading, I just want to start with like some brief clarifications about like the type of readers that we are. Because as much as like I love a good book discussion, I could talk about books all day, but it's really better and even makes more sense when you know where people are coming from, like in their tastes, kind of it puts people's opinions into context, I think. Definitely, definitely. And let's start with you. Let's talk fiction or nonfiction. Do you have a preference when it comes to those two huge, like if you just split reading and books down the middle, fiction, nonfiction, do you have a preference? I read a healthy mix of both. That hasn't always been the case. Like five years before I started blogging and before I started reading blogs, and that was really about the same time, I would read classics and I would read nonfiction because it was just much easier for me to find really good nonfiction books. And classics have stood the test of time. Like even if you don't love it, even if you find it's not to your taste, you at least aren't reading something that was rushed to press as a moneymaker and just seems like it might be hot this year. But now that, like Laura said, like taste is so important. It's so important to know where people are coming from and what they like and what they don't. And as I started just talking books more with friends, like there are a lot more 
book clubs and places to talk books just in my community than there were 10 years ago as I started finding people online that had similar taste to me. Um, so I knew what to expect and what point of view they were bringing their recommendations. It's been so much easier for me to dive deeply into contemporary fiction as well, where five years ago, I felt like it was a crapshoot. Like a book would sound good, but good jacket copy doesn't mean that I'm actually going to enjoy the book. And I've just had so much more satisfaction in reading the contemporary fiction as well, now that I feel like I have a better a better means to choose what to read and what to skip. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. I still have plenty of flops, but I have a lot more confidence than I did. That totally makes sense. Laura, mm-hmm. how about you? Fiction or non? I read both. Um, I feel like I've always kind of read both. I don't understand people who only read one or the other. Like, I feel like I often run into someone who says they only read fiction, usually. It seems like people are pretty stuck. They love novels, you know. But I think that there's a a misconception that nonfiction is boring or hard, harder maybe or something like that. And that's just not true. Like people who say that they never read nonfiction, I feel like they just have not found the right nonfiction books to read because there's some excellent, excellent things out there that um, like some of the best things I've ever read have been nonfiction. So, but uh, you know, on the other hand, novels are so transformative. A good novel change your whole life. You know, totally. So, yes. if I had to choose a genre that is my favorite, I would choose personal memoir. When that's done well, and there is a difference between memoir done well and <laughs> memoir not done well. Yes. Um, <laughs> A Dunwell personal memoir is is definitely one of my favorites. And then also I like dark literature more than just contemporary literature. Although kind of like Anne said, there's that I'm more into that than I used to be because there's more sort of larger discussion on contemporary literature, at least in my world, than there used to be. But if I just really had to choose what I would pick, I, I like I don't like uplifting. I really like a good, dark, broody, psychological, what is the meaning of it all? Yeah, you do. Killer. Killer. Murder. (laughs) You you have to read the murder stories and just tell me about them since I can't handle them. (laughs) Okay, now both of you are completely blowing me out of the water when it comes to the amount of reading that you do. You're both prolific readers. So I would love to hear from each of you, like how much are you reading? Let's talk about how much do you read daily? How often are you reading daily? How often are you reading? Is it something you schedule into your day or you just kind of pick up a book whenever you have a minute? And you have four kids like I have four kids. And so I am especially in awe of all of the reading that you get done. I would love to hear, how do you do it? Well, I have four kids, but there's a big difference between your youngest being two and your youngest being five and a half. Oh, that's true. That's and a good at point. no point have I had twins. So <laughs> like I could always get a lot of reading done when I was like stuck on the couch nursing a baby because there was no other baby like tugging true. at my heels or crying <laughs> in the crib. Um, but like the rhythms of my reading life were set when my kids were small. I'm an introvert. Like I love my kids, but like being on all day just wears me out. And reading is one of my favorite ways to recharge. So when they were young and they'd have that nap time at two o'clock, I would sit down with a book and a cup of tea. And that was just my, it was a coping strategy really, but it also set a habit that I kept as they got older. 
So now that they're older and they don't take naps, we still, I don't stay home with them like all the time, but you know, when, when we are home during the day and as they did get older and, um, we, we would break and we have rest time every day. And I learned like through long trial and error that my brain is no good for like producing worthwhile, important work at two o'clock in the afternoon, but that's a great time for me to read. So that's just something that I built into my daily rhythms. And if I have an appointment or other plans or something, I, it happens all the time that I don't read in the afternoon. Um, but I miss it when I don't get to. Sure, so that's yeah. a big chunk. I usually read for an hour in the afternoon. And then I read for an hour usually in the evenings before bed. Like that's how I like dim lights, wind down so that when I turn on the light, I can just go to sleep. Gotcha. Gotcha. Laura, how about you? I It's changed over my life, of course, just from no kids to little kids to now of when I read. But currently I read first thing in the morning when I get up, I read 20 to 30 minutes of nonfiction. And usually um, it's something spiritual. I'm reading a lot about mindfulness right now, or even something helpful. Like a, a, I also read a lot about habits or something like that. Like I just read like a good nonfiction sort of thought provoking type of thing to get my brain going in the morning, usually from 20 to 30 minutes. Then I read another 30 to 45 minutes at some other point in the day. It's not, I don't have kids who nap anymore. So it's usually you know, either at lunchtime or I take a break in the afternoon and just sit down on the couch and read or maybe before bed. So it's, I would say I read an hour to an hour and a half a day and you can get through a lot of, yeah, you you Yeah, books that way. Okay. So while we're talking about these hours that you're spending reading, I am so curious, you know, we live in this time when it's kind of wonderful and magical that you can either pick up a physical copy of the book or you can pull out your Kindle or read on your Kindle app or listen to a book, listen to an audiobook. So I would love to hear, I'm just so nosy and so curious, Laura, do you have a preference when it comes to the form that you're reading, uh, the book that you're reading? I cannot do audiobooks, like not even a little tiny bit. Like my brain, I just am not I cannot handle it. I don't even know what they're talking about. Like when I'm trying to listen to, I'm like, I don't know what we're doing here. Uh, just words. <laughs> um, at this point, and I'm surprised by this, but I prefer to read on my Kindle. Now I can throw it in my purse. I can hold it in one hand. So like if I'm in line somewhere or whatever, um, I can make my highlights But I still do read hard copies of things. Like if I'm reading a classic, which I did a lot of this year, I'll buy that. If I'm reading something that I know is, um, like that I really think is going to be important to me, like a National Book Award finalist or something that I know I'm going to want a hard copy of, then I'll I'll go ahead and purchase that hard copy. I get a lot of book, those type of books, like at Costco. Um, But if I'm just like my normal reading habits, if I got to choose, it would be on my Kindle. I love it. You can just download it. It's there. There's multiple things at one time. I travel a lot. So like I have all these books when I travel. Like I, I, I love the Kindle and I have absolutely zero tolerance for people who are anti-Kindle. You know, I started out so anti-Kindle. It just went against every sensibility within me. And then I started reading. I actually just read on the Kindle app on my phone, believe it or not. And that is, I read almost exclusively everything 
on the Kindle app on my phone now. So yes, I am a huge convert who started out very vocally against the e-reader format, just, you know, horrified at it. And now I'm, I pretty much live in it. So Anne, how about you? I, I like all those things. Um, I do really love audiobooks. It's not something I did until a couple years ago, and I do not even remember what got me started, but I do really enjoy especially books that are narrated by an accent that is un-American. Um, if it's African, British, Australian, I don't care. Like Those are my first choice audiobooks to listen to. But I do get a little lost without being able to see the structure of the book, like without being able to look at it and know, like, oh, well, I'm an eighth of an inch the way through a five inch Ah, book. Like I miss that. And that's what I miss when I'm reading on an e-reader too. Like I do have a Kindle and I use it regularly. I keep it in my purse. I really, really love it. But I also feel a little bit adrift. Like I don't, I don't know where I am. So I prefer to read in paper, but there are a lot of factors when it goes into what format I want to read a book in. And I'm not like, a like total hardcore like devotee to one over the others. Gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. I think probably most people are a mix of things now. I have listened to a few audiobooks. I find I cannot do nonfiction on an audiobook, which is so weird because I listen to podcasts, which are largely nonfiction all the time. But for some reason, my brain cannot track with a nonfiction book listening to it. But some fiction, you know, good sprawling story fiction wise, I've been totally fine with on audio. So anyway, I think we're probably all... I'm the same way. And I don't know what that is, because I've heard so many people tell me that they can only do nonfiction on audio. But I just don't... Like, I can't make myself care about the nonfiction. I find my mind wandering off, and I never have that problem in fiction. I mean, largely because I use... I listen on Audible, and I bump the speed way up, um, which helps my mind not wander. But yeah, it has to be a novel or like something like Eric Larson or, you know, like a nonfiction, like story driven narrative. I just want to say in defense of e-readers, when I first, I I was never super hesitant. I never took a big stand on it years ago. But when I first started to wade into it, I didn't think that I would personally like it because all of the arguments for like why people love to hold a book and they like the smell of the pages and like all of that kind of thing. I, you know, I do too. I'm a reader. But then when I started reading on, I started reading um, on my iPad first, and I realized like it was more important to me to take the content in, to be able to like read the book than it was to like hold the book. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so if, if um, you know, and because I could take the Kindle with me, eventually I trans, you know, I moved to having a Kindle and so I could have that with my purse all the time. So I was reading so much more. I started reading more immediately. And so I was like, oh, it's it's just more important to me to be reading more than it is to like stick to this. Yes. Yeah. This old school thing about holding it. I totally yeah, definitely. get that. Totally get that. So since both of you like a blend of fiction and nonfiction, I'm super curious. Do you read more than one book at a time? Do you have more than one going. Um, and so if you do, how do you choose which one is going to go into your to be read pile next? Like, do you have a system? Like I only read one fiction at a time and one nonfiction at a time. Tell me what that kind of looks like. I read usually one fiction and one nonfiction at a time. I can only, I can really only handle two books at a time and they have to be pretty wildly different. How do I choose my to read? Well, I use Goodreads to keep track of my list of what I want to read or whatever. I, 
I don't like Goodreads. It bugs me to death. It is not user-friendly. It does not have any of the features I want it to have. But I don't know I don't know anything else out there that does it. So I use Goodreads and I take advantage of like Kindle deals. I, I think I would say mood and relevance sort of dictates how I choose what I'm going to read next. I'm in a couple different book clubs and so I'm sort of assigned at least once a month something I have to read for that. And then if there's like a big national conversation happening about something, I'll, I want to read that. Mood is probably the biggest, though. Like if I'm wanting something lighter, heavier, classic, murdery. <laughs> <laughs> totally get it. I'm very feelings driven by what I'm reading next to. So I totally understand that. And what about you? Oh, I have multiple books going at once, too. Like like sometimes an embarrassing number, like six or seven. But wow. they do. How do you to, do that? Um, some of it is like what I have in my purse when I'm in carpool line. If I leave whatever book I'm like racing to get through, because I really, really love it on my nightstand that I read what I have with me. Um, some of it is deadline driven, like for my blog and for other projects, I will have certain books I need to read at a certain time. And even if those deadlines are self-imposed, like it still affects what I read when. And as to what to read next, um, same thing. It's like the deadlines. And I'm also very feelings driven, but I am I've been feeling so overwhelmed lately. I have so many books on my literal physical to read stack and I'm not super familiar with a lot of them and a lot of them aren't even coming out till next year, which I love and hate. Like in one way, it's very cool to be able to see them now. Um, just because I went to a couple events this year where they shoved books into your hands that were advanced review copies. This isn't quite entirely normal for me, but the good and the bad of it is it's kind of cool to read it first, but also it means you have nothing to go on right. except somebody's sales copy and that is really, really frustrating. Yeah. And also no one to discuss with when you finish. Oh, also very frustrating. Yeah. So do you quit? Like if you don't, if you started and you don't like it, are you a quitter or do you force yourself to finish? I am totally a quitter. I usually say abandoner because it sounds so much nicer semantically, <laughs> but I like, I literally think I have quit five books this week. Like oh, life wow. is too short. I have too much to read. That is more than usual, but I'm just going through this stack of untested books and I'll usually give it quite a while unless I can tell, like, I love murder mysteries, which I think is totally weird because I'm also a very highly sensitive person, but like, like if a book is like grim and creepy or if the content is just not something that I want to spend 400 pages with, I'm very quick to toss it aside. Otherwise, I'll give it 100 pages. But yeah, this week is just like the graveyard of rejected books, <laughs> carting them <laughs> off to my library for somebody else to grab. Uh, Laura, what about you? Do you quit books? Oh, yeah, I quit. Life is too short. Why? Why? Why would you finish a book that's stupid? Have you always been a quitter? Because I'm a convert. I've been a quitter for a long time. It's possible when I was really young, I felt like, um, because Megan will love this this reference, I'm an ISFJ. So I have like you a You did really, it. You remembered it. <laughs> I remembered what I am. But, you know, kind of my moral compass imposes these sort of arbitrary rules. So I think that probably when I was younger, I did think that there was some, you know, universe ruling that I had to finish. But it's been a long time. I mean, a long, long time. I'm a quitter. I don't have time for bad things. I love it. I love it. Um, I'm just, I'm like giddy. I'm so proud of you. You totally remembered it. <laughs> okay. So Laura and I, way back in episode 22, we got into a really interesting discussion about your favorite 
book versus your favorite author. And sometimes they're not the same. For example, mine's not. My favorite book famously that I talked about, I've talked about many times is Great Gatsby, but Fitzgerald is by far not my favorite author. Sometimes it can be such an interesting question to talk about, especially amongst a group of readers. Is your favorite author the author of your favorite book? So Laura kind of took some time to talk about her devotion to Stephen King um, in on episode 22. And tell us some of your favorite writers and favorite books and how they match up or do not match up. I feel like this is really cruel, Megan, because I am an INFP and I hate Facebook favorites so much. <laughs> like superlatives are not my love language. <laughs> but some of my favorite authors, and by favorite, I don't necessarily mean like the best books ever written, but like the ones that I find myself going like, oh, do they have another book? Or, you know, the ones I keep coming back to. Um, I love Jane Austen and Wendell Berry for more classic-y writing. I really like Kate Morton and Louise Penny for contemporary. And for more like the chiclet, I really like Jojo Moyes and Leanne Moriarty. Actually, Leanne Moyarty probably doesn't belong on my favorites list, but I'm still <laughs> excited when I hear she has a new book coming out. Laura, you like Leanne Moriarty. I right? love Leanne That's Moriarty. That's what I thought. I love my two in that sort of they're they're totally different writers, but my two that you like don't want to admit are in your favorites, but are totally in your favorites are Leanne Moyarty and uh, Tana French. I don't know if you read. Oh, I love Tana French. Yeah. You know what though? Okay, I love Tana French, but I also hate at least two of her books. So, <laughs> what does what does that say? Maybe that's the point. I didn't like her last book, and I didn't I didn't like all of Leanne Moyarty's books either, but. I think that both of those women, I love to read their writing. Yeah. Okay. That's a great list of writers. What about favorite books? And I know what you mean. Like as an ENFP, I know what you mean that like somebody might get their feelings hurt <laughs> if you leave them off the list. But if I don't you even can. feel like that. I just feel like um, the books I love, I love for very different reasons. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So it's like favorite how or favorite what day or sure. time of day or mood. It just varies so much. Do you have There's a- so many variables. Do you have a few you can throw at us? Just maybe not the ultimate all-time favorites, but a few that you come back to? Yes. Um, I love Crossing to Safety. Like I lent it to my babysitter yesterday and I was like, I was like the dad, like letting his daughter go on a date. I'm like, this book is precious to me. And like, you be good with it. I didn't actually say that, but I wanted to. So I'm like holding back on it if she takes it out of my hands. Um, I really love Jaber Crow and uh, Wendell Berry's whole Port William series. I have to be in the mood to read those. Like I would never read that by the pool or on an airplane, but I just really, really love his writing. And Brideshead Revisited and Emma are some of my favorite classics. And Madeline Lingle. And this year, I've really been loving Kate Atkinson, just modern author. She does experimental stuff that actually works, which I really admire. And I'm just continually impressed at her, I don't know, artistry sounds kind of like lofty, but... But genuinely, like, she does crazy stuff successfully, and it really impresses me and makes me want to just flip back to the beginning and start reading again. And she writes murder mysteries. So, (laughs) except I haven't read all those. I haven't read all those. But talking about murder mysteries with Laura, it makes me want to go start up again. Yeah. And it's the, I mean, when it's dark and broody outside, it's the perfect time to pick that style of book up. Laura. We know about your affection for Stephen King. Other favorite authors and other favorite books. Let's hear it. Um, My favorite authors... You know, just like Anne said, this is just such a hard question to answer because, you know, what do you mean by favorite? (laughs) (laughs) But I love J.D. Salinger. 
I just love Jane Salinger's writing. I love it. And and that's been complicated because in, you know, in the past few years, he's his life has been even more mired in scandal than we knew. So that's been a little distressing. But he is one of my favorites. Stephen King is one of my favorites. Nobody writes a story like Stephen King. I'll just say it again. I don't care how much I talk about this subject. But my favorite books, I really love, like some, you know, there's so many books that have made a huge impact in your life. But I would say one I've been wanting to reread recently is A Woman of Independent Means. That's an amazing book, especially for as a mom, I think. I read that before I was a mom. And then Geek Love, which is super weird. A lot of people will not like Geek Love, so you kind of need to go. It's about like a side show circus, like a freak show circus. So I can't recommend that to everyone, but I loved it. I thought it was brilliant. And then Catherine Graham's memoir, Personal History, is probably my favorite memoir. It's about how um, Catherine Graham, after years of being a housewife, took over the Washington Post. Yeah. And it's it's just for women everywhere. It's just an amazing story. And it's just interesting, um, aside from the empowerment of it all. Like, her stories are just really interesting, and, and she's a great writer. So those are some of my favorites. I have a whole page on my blog of, like, my absolute favorites, and I could really, like, speak at length about all of them. I won't. <laughs> okay. All right. And we'll, and, and you have lists on your blog as well with favorites um, that we could link to. Isn't that right? I probably have like 40 posts about my favorites. Okay. So. <laughs> we'll dig up some of those and put them in the show notes for sure. I've teamed up with healthymoving.com to bring you a free class to get you moving and keep you moving right on into the new year. Text sorta awesome that's no spaces, all one word, to 33444 or go to healthymoving.com slash sorta awesome for access to this free class. And now here is one of Jen's students to share with you how awesome Healthy Moving has been in her life. My name is Lauren Gaggioli. I am an online entrepreneur and a member of Jen's coaching program at healthymoving.com. And I just wanted to share a little bit of my experience. Um, As an online entrepreneur, I spend a lot of time in front of the computer, as you might imagine. And something that I didn't realize until I joined the program was not just that I was in front of the computer a lot. It was how long at a stretch I would sit there. Times when I would go four or five hours without moving. And until I joined Jen's program, I didn't realize that I was doing that. After working with Jen for the past eight months, I've felt a distinct difference in my body. I have so many fewer aches and pains. And I know that a lot of that is due to the fact that I'm weaving more healthy moving into my day. We'll hear more from Lauren next week. And once again, you can find all the details for signing up in today's show notes. Thank you, healthymoving.com. We've 
we've talked about all-time favorites. Let's narrow our focus to 2015. This has been quite a year for books. We've had some really super popular books come on the scene that it seems like, Laura, you kind of talked about this, that there's sort of a national conversation going on about them. Um, everything from Harper Lee's Go Set a Watchman, um, Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic, even oh, The Martian. We've had even like some uh, like practical hands-on things like the life-changing magic of tidying up. It's been a big year for big conversations about books in 2015. I would love to hear from each of you which of the sort of popular books you read this year and if you felt like any of them lived up to the hype around them. Anne, what about you? Well, I already talked about A God in Ruins by Kate Atkinson, which I really liked. Um, I was a little nervous about it because it was supposed to be the companion of sorts to Life After Life, which was um, ambitious and interesting and weird, but I thought it was really well done. I really enjoyed it. I think I read All the Light We Cannot See in 2015. If I didn't, I read it the end of last year. And if I'm wrong and it wasn't this calendar year, it doesn't matter because it bears talking about again. I thought it was so good. So well done. Laura, what about you? Popular books this year. You and I have um, sort of made peace with the fact that we've split on Go Set a Watchman with me loving it and you not loving it. <laughs> Did what, not love it. What about, also did not love, I also did not love The Martian. I didn't finish The Martian. I got about, I don't know, 75 pages in and was like, this is not for me. So I put it down. The most popular book of the year so far has been on the bestseller list for 16 weeks, topping the bestseller list for anything else. And that is The Girl on the Train, which I also did not care for. This answer is turning really negative, but basically, <laughs> Can basically, I pile yeah, please, please pile or, on. Yeah. I think a publisher said, we need another Gone Girl so we can make our millions and went out and commissioned that thing. It just wasn't any, in my opinion, because clearly all those, you know, people who put it on the bestseller list disagree. Although frequently those books are not good books, in my opinion. Yeah, it just wasn't, it wasn't good. It wasn't well written. All the characters sounded the same. You would guess what happened halfway through. And I also felt that way about Luckiest Girl Alive. Um, I That book ended up on my doorstep. I'm not quite sure how. And I started reading it. And I gave up on page 50. And I went and I put it on my library's free take table. And I really... Um, thought about putting a disclaimer on it that says, you think, you think you lucked out today, but really you should pass on this one. But I didn't, I just <laughs> left it there and let somebody enjoy their moment of like finding it. And then later, hopefully at page 70, they'll be like, oh, why, why am I wasting my time? With this? I love People, that. you know, I didn't read that book. And part of the reason I didn't read that book, Anne, is because I saw on social media or on your blog or something that you had really did not like it. But I have friends that loved that book. I think that when you have a book like Gone Girl, which is divisive, people feel really differently about, about Gone Girl, but I loved it and thought it was very, very clever. When you have a book like that a couple of years ago, and then you get all these spinoff, you know, in imitation of, which I also, I sometimes feel bad for those authors because Shirley Girl on the Train was probably written before Gone Girl was released, just looking at the dates probably. But it's hard when anything is touted as the next fill in the blank, I worry. That's too much pressure. It's yes. too much pressure. And it's usually means this is similar to, and yet not as good as. <laughs> yeah. Can't stand on its own. Yeah. That's hard. Yeah, definitely. Okay. So as you look back on 2015, 
What's the best thing? I know Anne is like cringing because I keep forcing you to <laughs> name these. What's the best? What's the best? But we need to so know. Cool. And you are here as our expert, so we need to know. The best thing you read in 2015, it does not have to be something that was published this year. Just the best thing you picked up, both fiction-wise and nonfiction. All right, I'm going to go with sheer volume. So this year I found Louise Penny's. By found, I mean I finally caved in to the people who've been telling me to read it for years um, because the first book came out probably going on 10 years ago. I read her Canadian murder mystery series set in Three Pines, Quebec. Um, There are 11 books in the series now. They are, so the author said that she uses the murders just really as an excuse to probe human nature. Like you need something to happen in a novel and in hers, the inciting incidents are murders. And the series is so good. Like I just tore through it. And when I say the series is so good, I mean, book one is slow, book two and three, the plots are weird. And then at book four, it, um, it really takes off. And the ones in the middle are my favorite. And yeah, 11 great books in one year. That's, amazing. That, that's how I'm defining favorite right now. Totally, totally. Uh, nonfiction wise, what was your favorite? Being Mortal by Atul Gawande, which I was hesitant to pick up um, just because it sounded so heavy. And like when I looked at it on my shelf, I thought I made myself buy it because I knew it was going to be a keeper. And I was like number 300 something on the library waiting list. Because um, usually I hate clutter so much. I don't like to buy books that I'm just going to get rid of. I just, you know, we have enough of like the churn going on with kids' clothes and stuff like that. Yes. I don't need to do it with. But I felt like there is no. Wednesday afternoon when I want to sit down and read something so heavy and depressing. But I made myself start and it wasn't at all what I expected. It was so um, interesting and hopeful and I learned so much, which I just didn't expect. Like he really, he's a wonderful storyteller, which really surprised me because he was a surgeon and they're not renowned for their literary abilities, but (laughs) so good. And um, it, it is a sensitive topic, but he does it with so much hope and compassion. And seriously, he's such a great storyteller. It was captivating. Like I couldn't put it down, which is not at all what I expected. I'm so glad I read it. It's what I'll be rereading. Um, I just bought everything he's ever written because he is such a great storyteller. So that just really speaks to how much fun seems like the wrong word almost for something about like mortality, but it was, it was so fun to read. Really loved it. Excellent. Laura, what about you? Fiction and nonfiction, your favorites that you picked up in 2015? The best things I read in 2015, the best fiction I read was um, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. Ah, yeah. From your classics challenge, right? From my classics challenge. Now, I loved it just, it's an easy read. It's, I think it's under 200 pages. The plot is not difficult or anything like that. So many things you'll recognize from just that book in ways that you don't even know is referenced in so much of our world. Like it's part of our lexicon, different things from Frankenstein that you don't even know. What I ended up loving even more about it was this is sort of a bigger conversation, but why it became one of my favorite things I read this year was because in our book discussion, our book club discussion about it was just amazing and, th- and that changes. You know how, like, when you see a movie, it really matters, like, if you saw it in the theater or not, if you were in a good mood or not, like, whatever, you know, that really matters. In ways that I have totally learned this year, especially, is, like, if you're able to discuss the book afterwards, it totally enhances your experience of reading the book. So our discussion of Frankenstein afterwards, and everyone had these sort of different theories of what was happening, and, and was it like a cigar is just a cigar, like a story about 
a scientist and a monster or was it about like the human experience, like all these deeper things? Like you could do all the different levels with it and it completely worked. I loved that it was a woman author. I loved that she churned it out quickly in response to a bet with her men writer friends. There's just so many I things. I did not know that. Yes. Yes. Um, they kind of made like a bet, a weekend bet. They were all away for a weekend on a fun thing. And they were like, let's try and write a horror story. Let's all try and do it. Like right now, like in 48 hours. And they pumped something out and they read it to one another. It was like a fun thing. Now she did go on to polish it and change it up a Mm -hmm. bit, but that's where that story came from. So all of these like layers to Frankenstein, I just, it stands out in my year. But the best, the other best thing I read, which was nonfiction and also contemporary, is something nobody's talking about. And I'm so confused because it was hands down the best modern thing I read this year. And that was a book of essays called Love and Other Ways of Dying by Michael Paternity. I I think that's how you say his name. Um, He's an essayist for like GQ and Esquire. And, you know, he just, he's a magazine writer. And this book... You guys, I don't know why it is not getting accolades everywhere. I read this book and just like wept. And I'm not a big book crier. Um, they're short stories, so you can just read like one or two and put it down, you know, whatever. And they're and they're nonfiction because a lot of them came from things he's written. It was like a compilation of his work from magazines and stuff before. The first one is about, this sounds terrible, but just roll with me. The first story is about a plane crash. And he sort of imagines like what the people, a, a commercial airline, and it, the the crash was real, but he sort of does this sort of imagining like what the people did that morning when they got up as they were preparing to get on the plane, like this whole thing. I know that's really dark and we've like made fun of how I like that. It, it is mind blowing. Like I literally wept. Like I was like, this is, this is how it is. Mm. Like these people, you know said their goodbyes. They'd been planning this trip for months. They planned this trip on a whim, whatever. He kind of shows these little different vignettes of what a person's life looked like before they got on the plane. And I just, you cannot believe the writing in this book. And then another one of the essays that he wrote was about, this is also true. They're all true. He did a road trip with Albert Einstein's brain in a Tupperware container in the back of his car. What? (laughs) What? Right. (laughs) And so he drives cross country with Einstein's brain in the back. It's so good. You cannot <laughs> believe it. Like I was just reading these stories, you know, and maybe because a lot of it had been published before, like, you know, it's not, I don't know if it's not eligible for awards or what, but I'm telling you this book, I think about it all the time. And I read it back in the spring. It is the best thing I read this year for sure. Hands down. Love it. Love it. Your passion is very contagious. I'm going to have to find it now, even though, I mean, I'm a huge book crier. So (laughs) I'll just be prepared for that. So Laura, I love what you just said, that a huge part of the reading experience, the reason that readers love to get together and hang out and congregate and do book clubs or even just over dinner with friends, love to talk books is because the discussion part of the reading experience can be so huge. So I know for you know, for myself in the past, I'll come across a book that I just cannot stop talking about, even if it's not like necessarily one of my favorite books. It's so challenging in some way, or it's so thought-provoking, maybe even so angry-making, but I just can't stop talking about it. So I would love to hear if either of you picked up a book this year that you just cannot seem to stop talking about. Laura, how about you? Um, I have a couple. I feel like one is Just Mercy 
by Brian Stevenson, um, which is about a lot of the injustice in the prison system in the United States. I started this book a little skeptical, not that I didn't think there was injustices, but it's one of those things where when so many people are talking about a book like this, uh, maybe I'm just a skeptic, but I'm always thinking, oh, I'm, I'm looking for the fallacies sometimes. And when I read this book, I learned a lot. It's not perfect. I don't agree with every single premise that he's working with, but it was really eye-opening, really, really eye-opening, especially from a privileged white girl who easily makes the assumption that if you're in jail, you probably did something wrong. Um, so, you know, I definitely was shocked and saddened by the stories in Just Mercy, and it, it made me want to, you know, learn more about that to the end of changing mm, the, right. the prisons in America. And, and it definitely changed my mind on some big things. Um, and it sparked a lot of discussion with my husband and I, he didn't read it, but I would, you know, sum up things and we would talk about them. And so that's one that I can't stop talking about and wanting other people to read so that we can talk about it. Sure. Right. Yes. Um, and the fiction one, this is harder to talk about in fiction because you don't want spoilers or anything, but Fates and Furies by Lauren Groff is, seems um, like that's everywhere I turn right now. And it's the kind of thing that you like have to talk about. It's one of those things you just, you, I want to know <laughs> that book. Um, I will only say this. I don't want to give a single solitary thing away, but I read that for my real life book club here in LA. And by the end of the book, I did not like the book. I was irritated by the book. I went to book club. They totally changed my mind on the book. Now I think it was a great book. <laughs> I love it. Which, as, yeah, as an English teacher, that's my dream come true right there. <laughs> Is that somebody would pick up a text and hate it and then through discussion be like, oh, but wait, it's actually amazing. So Yeah. I, and I'm not easily swayable that way. Like I have pretty strong opinions about what I read. Right, and, yeah. Yeah. Um, so I had mixed, I guess I should say I had mixed feelings on it when I went to book club. And then when, when the other women in my book club sort of explained why they loved it, they had all loved it. I was like, wait, I, I totally think you're right. Like, <laughs> I love it. It's a, it's a talker. You really, it's hard to talk much about because you have to have read it to speak about it well. Gotcha. Gotcha. I am, and- I am dying. I am so curious because I read that one. And so I read it. And 100 pages in, because this is my MO, I put it down and I was like, ugh, life's too short. But, but then I was talking to another friend and she thought, well, didn't you at least find the format fascinating? And I was like, what format? So this is spoiler free, <laughs> but you should know it is the story of a marriage. And it's told first from the husband's perspective and then from the wife's perspective. And because of where I quit, I never got to the wife's perspective. Ah, that makes and a so big difference. Just knowing, <laughs> yeah, such a big difference. Just knowing yeah. that that um, change of point of view was coming and that there was more going on than like, than I first realized when I started reading the book. Um, I did pick it up and continue. When, once I knew what was going on, I picked the book back up. I was re- I'm, I'm really glad I read it. Okay. Genuinely impressed. It's not, not everybody's going to love it, but I thought it was really well done. Did you have, and did you have a book that you found yourself talking about to other people this year? <laughs> yes, but mine is so weird. Um, I go on these urban planning kicks every few years. Yes. I'm just fascinated by the way that we shape our spaces and then they shape us. So I read this book that's 
not new, it came out at least five years ago called Walkable City by Jeff Speck. And the subtitle is something like How Downtown Can Save America One Something at a Time. That has nothing to do with the book. I don't know why it's called that. But (laughs) it just, my poor husband, I was like a broken record for months after I finished this book. Like, well, in Walkable City, in Walkable City, well, Jeff Speck would say, oh, and then we went to New York twice the following few months. And I was like, look, look, this is Jeff Speck in action. It was so sad, but also like my... I just could not shut up talking about how the concepts in this book, just how truly like you think that you are an independent person, like thinking through your day and how you will travel and where you will eat and where you will go and where you will buy your coffee. But you're so much a product of your environment. And so like what that environment looks like really matters. And it makes me want to like move to San Francisco or Manhattan and go on a crusade to make our streets narrow and plant a bunch of trees, like just all in really annoying ways. Um, but, it's but I when, still really loved it. Yeah, I loved got it. you talking. I love it. And I, I, love didn't, it. I didn't see it coming because it's called Walkable City. That does not sound fun, but it was so fascinating. That's so interesting. I love urban planning stuff too. That's a, a super fascinating topic to get into. Before we wrap up, I have two really quick questions to ask each of you. I would love to know, because you guys read so much, and it seems like you maybe have covered through the years of this voracious reading that you've kind of read everything out there. Did either of you have like a big discovery this year, either like a book that you picked up, kind of what you're saying with with Frankenstein, Laura, but something that was like a huge discovery of an author or a book that just surprised you out of the blue? I discovered Neil Gaiman this year. I read uh, The Ocean at the End of the Lane last year, at the end of last year, and really, really loved it. So then I picked up Neverwhere this year. And by picked up, I mean downloaded on my Kindle. And uh, I love him. I think he is a great storyteller, uh, similar to what I was saying even about Frankenstein, in that you can just read it as a, as a fantasy, sort of a fantasy typewriter, and it can just be the story, just what it is. Or you can, like, look under all the layers and... I mean, it almost reads like a children's story in in a certain way, but then it's so much more than that. And he's very, very, he's a very popular writer. It's just not something I think I normally would have picked up that genre. And I think he's great. And and he's great on Twitter, too, if you're a social media person. Awesome. And what about you? Well, the sun silly to say that I discovered J.K. Rowling, but I totally did. And not because I'm reading through Harry Potter for the third time with my (laughs) five-year-old now. Um, He was such a fourth child. Like, I wouldn't have thought a five-year-old was ready, but he wants to do what his siblings are, and he's enjoying it. So we'll see when he puts on the brakes, but we just started before. But I assumed that her adult stuff was bad, because probably some person told me that years ago. But a friend convinced me to pick up her Robert Galbraith series, and I I think I read the whole thing in like a week. Oh, wow. Fat murder mysteries. Yeah. I've been really into murder mysteries this year. I think so. Laura's rubbing off on you. Yeah, Hollywood <laughs> murdery references. <laughs> okay, good. Those are excellent recommendations on both of those. Since we are at the end of the year, people are thinking about books maybe to give as gifts. Laura is the best book gift giver ever. She has sent me some of my very favorite books through the years, books I never would have picked up. So as we think about the end of the year and the gift giving season, do either of you have a book that you are like, yeah, this would be a fantastic book to send as a gift? I am giving or plan to give to multiple people Elizabeth Gilbert's Big Magic. Oh, good. I just bought that. You don't have to send it to me. I just got it. (laughs) Okay. Noted. Um, I think it is a great encouragement. My favorite book about writing or about the creative process is Writing Down the Bones. 
And um, it reminded me of that. They're not that similar. Writing Down the Bones is really about like writing and encouragement to writers. But Big Magic is encouragement to all creatives. It's like a, a little bit of get up off your butt and a little bit of so much grace. This is a hard life. There's like a good mix, I feel, um, that makes you want to create something. And I just feel like that message goes to a lot of people. Therefore, it's my it's my best book to give as a gift right now. Excellent. And what about you? Oh, that is such a good one. I'm I'm giving several copies of Big Magic as well. My book with actual content is probably The Art of Memoir by Mary Carr, just because I know so many I so many writers and serious readers. Um there's about 30 pages of actual how-to, and she tells you in the book, if you're not actually writing, then you can just skip on to the next section. But if you're a reader, it's very interesting to, um, there's a lot of narrative in the book, a lot of peeks behind the scenes. And so like my reading list exploded after reading oh, the book it. because she she cites so many examples of memoirs. And I really like that genre. So it was really interesting for her to point out what, what makes one really good and what makes it sound um, disingenuous. As far as like what I'm probably buying the most of this year, I am completely in love with the Puffin and Bloom collection of the children's classics. I have given them this year so many times as baby gifts or to as grown-up gifts just because they are so stinking cute and look so good on shelves. And the box set is cheap. And there there will be more than one tree that has a set of those for oh, me under it this year. I love it. Oh, those are some fantastic recommendations from both of you. Thank you so much. You guys, this has been so much fun. I can't believe that we've been chattering on about books for an hour. This has been so great. And thank you again so much. I know this is such a busy time of year. So thank you for carving out the time to come on the show. Before we wrap up, could you remind everybody where we can find you and all around the web? My main home online is at my blog, modernmrsdarcy.com. On Twitter and Instagram, I am at Ann Bogle. It's Ann with an E. On Pinterest and Facebook, I am Modern Mrs. Darcy. Great. And Laura, remind us where we can find you. I am still available at HollywoodHousewife.com that links out to all my channels. And on there, there's a reading tab where you can see all of my favorite books of all time. Um, but I'm mainly these days on Instagram as Hollywood H Wife, on Twitter as Hollywood H Wife, and on Facebook as The Hollywood Housewife. Great. Just as a reminder, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Sorta Awesome Meg. Come talk to us on Facebook in the Hangout group. We're at facebook.com slash group slash Sorta Awesome Hangout. We're also on Instagram at Sorta Awesome Show. Thanks so much for joining us today at Sorta Awesome. Show notes for this and every episode are available at sortaawesomemegan.tumblr.com. You can also sign up for the show's newsletter, which includes extra tidbits of awesome by going to tinyletter.com slash Sorta Awesome. If you have feedback on the show, you want to ask us a question, or you just want to say hi, you can email me anytime at sortaawesomemegan at gmail.com. If you're enjoying the show, it would be unbelievably awesome if you would subscribe, rate, and review the show in iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. I have to give a shout out to the band Prager for allowing us to use the song Strut for our in and out music. To find out more about Prager's nasty beats and pretty chords, go to PragerMusic.com. And I'll meet you back here next time as we discover, explore, and discuss all the things that make life sorta amazingly awesome. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.